0: Well have a seat and howdy. howdy. My name is Kevin Bear. I'm the actually the Southwood College pastor and we're doing a little rotation of guys, of uh, our Creekside, a uh, guy who leads Creekside, Jacob and myself. And so we're rotating this week. Jacob will be back next week uh, and then he'll be rotating again the week after that. So just to give you guys a heads up. And, uh, and it is really an honor to be with you here this morning. We are continuing our study in Proverbs. And so, if you have a, uh, a Uversion app, one of the things I would encourage you to do is actually to join with us in, um, in going through the Uversion app. You can study uh, as a devotion the, the Proverbs study that we're a part of. So, I encourage you to download that. It is absolutely free. Um, and, but today, we are going to look at the best leaders, the best, what it looks like to be the best quality the best type of leader and this is but let me just open up with a story about this so uh, I have uh, four amazing kids. My wife actually is a veterinarian, uh, and so she came to a and got her veterinary degree, and so she uh, gets her hands on those animals, and it's a beautiful thing. Uh, and we also have four amazing kids. I have a nine-year-old daughter named Peyton. I have an eight-year-old son named Micah. I have a, a six-year-old son named Jesse and a four-year-old daughter named Juliet. We call her Juju. She's also a hot mess. She has a purse that says hot mess on it. And, uh, and recently she says, I'm not a hot mess. And we're like, baby. You're four, you are. Um, and one kind of give you like a perspective on what it is like to parent children, especially four, is that it's chaos pretty much all the time. And, and one time several years ago, when my kids were a little bit younger, uh, Juliet was probably only about one year old. Uh, we were in Katy. My, my family's in Katy. My wife's family lives in Katy. And so we were visiting our family there in Katy, and we were driving back. I was driving back, the four kids alone. My wife was staying there. And, uh, and it was about 12 noon. And it was one of those moments when the children were like, we're hungry, and Daddy, we will yell at you ruthlessly. It was one of those like happy fatherhood moments, right? And so they're just screaming at me like, we're hungry, we're hungry. And I'm going, what are we going to do? We're driving up 290, and suddenly I see salvation, (laughs) Chick-fil-A. And I'm like, you are going to save my life. And so I pull over into Chick-fil-A, and you know... 12 o'clock Chick-fil-A is chaos. Like there's the car line, double-decker is, is going out forever. And, uh, and so I've got to navigate four children across the parking lot and all these hungry, uh, very mad, angry, not well-mannered people and get my kids in the in the Chick-fil-A line in the store. And so I grab the three by the hand. I've got my other daughter like in a carrying case and I'm like going across the way to get in there and we get in and there's another huge long line in the Chick-fil-A and I'm like, oh no. And my kids at that point in time are so respectful and understanding. They're like, father, how would you like us to behave in this moment as we stand in this Chick-fil-A line that looks like it's gonna take a year? And, and I'm like, I'm like, children, y'all got to be calm. And they're just like, what? I'm hungry. I'm going to die. And I'm like, ah. And suddenly this woman in a Chick-fil-A uniform comes over to me and she says, sir, why don't you have a seat? And I'm like, yeah, but I got to order. I got to get stuff, you know, over there. And she's like, she's like, I will take your order from the table. And I'm like, you can do such a thing. And she's like, yes. And so she leads me over to a table. We sit down. The kids are like, can we go play? And I'm like, yeah, go play in the playland. you know, like the infestation world. I go play over there. And, and I'm sitting there. And so she takes my order. And I'm like, do I have to get up and go get it? She's like, no, no, no. I will bring the food to you. And I'm like, there is a God in heaven. <laughs> so I get my order. They get the food. And I, I look at that moment, and I think about... The culture of Chick-fil-A, and, I, and, and every business, every person is going, how do we create a culture like that? How do we create people like that, where they, they see needs, they anticipate needs, and they move in to help and serve? How is it that we create a culture, environments, where the people that are a part of the organization, the people that are part of the group, see needs and anticipate to move those needs? And I'll tell you what, it comes largely through the character of leadership, Leadership sets the culture. Leadership sets the direction. Leadership sets the priorities of an organization. And it's leadership that will lead an organization in a positive direction or a negative direction. And you are literally at Texas A&M University in a leadership breeding ground, a leadership culture. I was looking up a little statistics on you, whether you realize it or not. This is you. As of uh, total enrollment, fall of 2019, there are 69,000 students enrolled at Texas A&M University. That's a lot of folk. 54,000 of them are undergraduates. But here's what surprised me. Student organizations. There are 1,100 student organizations. And for many of you, your identity Is built into that organization. Like, hey, where are you from? Dallas, that's so great. What organization are you in? Like, that's like the next question. And so it's like an identifier. And as part of that organization, there's many of you that go, how do I move my way up in that organization? How do I lead in that organization? How do I make this organization dominate all others? You know, there's this desire To lead well. And with 1,100 organizations, that means there's at least 1,100 presidents, directors, executives, something in that role. There is a lot of leaders needed in this organization. But here's what's fascinating. As they've studied Generation Z, Barna came out with a study um, recently where they asked the culture of Generation Z, people in your age demographic, about leadership. And here's what they've, they've said. They said four out of five affirm and nearly half strongly affirm that society is facing a crisis of leadership because there's not enough good leaders at this moment. Society, your generation is saying there's actually a crisis in leadership. We don't have enough quality men and women leading our organizations, leading our nation. And so the question is this, how do we become people that are great leaders? How do we become people that can enter into our organizations, enter into our career fields, and be great leaders? And as soon as I ask that question, I think several of you have some objections. Some of you would say, Kevin, I'm not a leader. Like, I don't have leadership qualities. I'm not a great leader. Well, we're going to talk later on about what it looks like to be a great follower, because to be a great leader, you first start by being a great follower. So we're going to talk about followership, but I would simply tell you this, you actually do have authority as a leader, and it may be smaller than others, but you actually do. All of us are called to be disciple makers, to follow Jesus as his disciple and to make disciples with our lives. So at one level, you, you are called to exercise a level of influence on others through the process of discipleship. And others of you are going to have families as well. You're going to have families and kids, and guess what? They need leadership. They need good mommies and daddies to lead them well. So even if you're not head chief of the totem pole, you're not president of your organization, there are levels of leadership that you have influence in, and you're called to exercise well. And for others of you, you might say, well, Kevin, I'm already a great leader. So everything you're going to say will just be like, yeah, yeah, I know, because I'm awesome. But then I would ask you this question. Are you leading in God's direction, with God's priorities, with God's empowerment in your leadership? Are you a great leader who's leading in God's direction, with God's priorities, with God's empowerment in your leadership? So we're going to look this morning about what it looks like to be men and women who are great leaders under God's guidance. And I'm going to give three big categories of which we're going to talk this morning. The first is this, a perspective of a great leader. What perspective should I have when I'm walking into a leadership situation? The second is this, when I'm in authority, what do I do? What are the activities of a great leader? And thirdly, when I'm under leaders, what am I supposed to do? How do I act well when I'm under in that responsibility of being under leadership? So we'll begin with this, the perspective of a great leader. What is the perspective a great leader should have? God's leaders Well, I'd say this, great leaders follow God's direction with God's priorities, with God's empowerment. Great leaders, the best leaders of our world, follow God's direction with God's priorities, with God's empowerment. Here's what it says in Proverbs 9.10, says it this way, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. We've looked at this type of verse through all of Proverbs. That true wisdom begins with this, fearing God. And the fear of the Lord is this. It's respect, honor, and submission to God first. So to be a great leader, your first starting point is this. Do I actually believe there is an authority higher than me leading this thing? Am I actually willing to put my knee down and humble myself below a leader above me? Great leaders do this. They first humble themselves before a leader that's higher than them. Proverbs 15.33 says it this way, The fear of the Lord is instruction and in wisdom, and humility comes before honor. You want to be a great leader? We humble ourselves first under God's direction of our lives, because that's going to shape your priorities, that's going to shape your practices, that's going to shape how you treat people. It's going to shape the culture you create. If you are unwilling to submit to God and only submit to yourself, it will <laughs> dramatically shape the organization that you lead. Great leaders first say this, I'm going to set myself under God's directives. And secondly, we, we need to shape our leadership by God's priorities. And he, what God prioritized most in the world it's people. Proverbs fourteen twenty eight says it this way, in a multitude of people is the glory of a king, but without a people, a prince is ruined. The greatest asset you have in your leadership opportunity isn't your vision, isn't your direction, isn't your product, it's your people. Because the right people in your organization will set the right vision. They will make the great products. They will help your company thrive. If you don't value people, you will not lead your organization well. And this is what's fascinating about this verse. It says, look, in a multitude of people, there's a glory in the king. There's glory under that leadership. But if there's no people, the organization's not going well. John Maxwell has a Great pithy quote, but he says this. He's a, he's a leadership guru. John Maxwell has written a ton in the area of leadership, and he says this. If you think you are leading and no one is following, you are only taking a walk. <laughs> so if you are saying to yourself, I'm an amazing leader, and no one follows, guess what? You are taking a walk. You are not leading. Now, Andrew Carnegie, brilliant business leader in the early part of the of the uh, 1800s, at one point in time, he had 43 millionaires working for him. And at that time in the 1800s, it was amazing to have 43 millionaires actually working for your organization. And one reporter asked him at one point, how is it that you develop 43 millionaires to work for you? And he says this, men are developed the same way gold is mined. When gold is mined, several tons of dirt must be moved to get an ounce of gold but one doesn't go into the mine looking for dirt. One goes in looking for gold. Are people your priority? Are people the obstacle to your priorities? Are people your highest motivation in leading, developing, caring for, cultivating those people, or is it your vision or direction and you mow over people to get where you're going? Great leaders don't do that. They want to know that you value Them, And if you value and care for them, they're more likely to follow you. And thirdly, great leaders are empowered by God. Proverbs 20, 20, 28 says it this way. Steadfast love and faithfulness preserve a king. And by steadfast love, his throne is upheld. The image in most of Proverbs of authority and leadership is pictured in the person of the king. He's the leader of the nation. He's the leader of that community. And he says steadfast love and faithfulness preserve him. The word steadfast love in Hebrew is the word "hesed," It's God's loyal covenant love that he made with his people. When he speaks to the nation of Israel, he says to them, I didn't choose you because you were more numerous or more amazing than any other nation. I chose you because I loved you. Hesed, loyal covenant keeping love love. The kings in in ancient Israel were supposed to love God with their life and serve under God's authority. And if they did that, if they loved God and served under God's authority, God would establish their leadership. But if they abandoned God, then God would remove their authority, remove their leadership. And, And we don't function the same way today, but the principle does apply. That we've seen men and women who've risen to high ranks in leadership who have abandoned the call of God, who have abandoned morality in their organization, and they've lost influence, they've lost power, they've lost position because they've they've abandoned the call and the purposes of God. And the truth is this. If God isn't your highest authority, if he is not your priority, or you're not prioritizing what he is prioritizing, and he's not empowering your leadership, your leadership will fade with you. But if you have the perspective, I'm going to value God, I'm going to value people, and I'm going to be on my knees saying, Lord, please help me to love you and love them with a loyal love that you love them. I tell you what, that is the perspective. That is the starting point of being a great leader, a great man or woman who is following and can lead God from, from God's perspective. Well, what should we do? What, is, what should we actually do? When we have this position of authority, when I've got the role, when I'm the president of my organization, when I'm leading in my Bible study, when I'm leading um, in a business, what actually should I value in that moment? Before we get into the details, I would encourage you to ask yourself this question Am I a leader worth following? Before we talk about all the things that you need to do as a great leader, I would ask myself this introspective personal question. Am I actually a leader worth following? Do I have somewhere to go? Am I worth directing these people in this direction? And I'd give you three things to think about. Three things that a leader needs to do. They set the direction, they set the culture, and they protect the people. They set the direction, they set the culture, and they protect people. Proverbs 11.14 says it this way. Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there's safety. The first thing people need from you when you're leading in an organization is this, that you set the direction. We actually said, this is where we need to go. These are the values that we need to have. This is the the hill that we're going to charge. People want guidance. They want someone that's leading out in front of them to show them the direction to go. But I love the second part of this. See, the direction isn't come up with on your own in a cave or like on, on your own like in Starbucks. Like, where should my organization go? I think we need to go here. Like, that's not how vision is developed. That's not how direction is developed. He says, this, says it this way, in an abundance of counselors, there's wisdom. In an abundance of counselors, there's safety. As you select the wise people to give influence into that direction. So if you're a leader in an organization, you don't go solo. You surround yourself with quality men and women that can help you make wise decisions. This is one of the things I love about working at Grace Bible Church. There are tons of qualified men and women that help set the direction of the organization. No one flies solo. We all move in community together. Disney knows this. So years ago, in the 1990s, Disney was beating everyone at the box office with their movies, like, I don't know, Sleeping Beauty and Hercules, and they were amazing, like in these Tarzan movies. Like these were all great movies, right? And then suddenly a new organization came onto the scene. Pixar. And they started beating Disney at the box office. They were making great movies that you grew up with, like Toy Story, Finding Nemo, Monsters, Inc., right? They're making these amazing movies. And Disney starts losing the battle at the box office. They're like, oh, great. Our movies are no longer competitive. What do we do? So what do they do? They bought Pixar. (laughs) It's great when you have unlimited resources, right? And so so they bought them. And and the executives at that point said, "This, this is amazing. Buying Pixar allows us to do what we were better at, which is creating, crafting these movies. But they gave us creativity. They gave us ideas. They gave us a new way of creating these these different movies that made every other movie-making department better. Wise companies bring in an abundance of counselors to give them wisdom. And a few years ago, they bought Marvel, made a bunch of Marvel movies. And the CEO of of Disney, um, Robert... Um, Ebert, I believe, um, said this. This allows Disney to do what Disney is best at. Because they realize we're not best at story writing. We're not best at character development. We're good at theme parks, making toys, and pushing that out to children's lives. Like, that's what we're good at. And so if we have other people to speak into us, we can make better decisions and set this direction. Companies know this. Churches know this. So what does the leader do? They set the direction, getting wisdom from the people around them to set the right direction, godly direction. But not only do they set the direction, secondly, they set the culture. It's a leader's responsibility to set the culture of the organization. Proverbs 2, I think, is so helpful in understanding what it looks like to set um, a godly culture in an organization. Proverbs 2 is all about wisdom. All about seeking wisdom and applying wisdom into your life, getting wisdom. And it, and it says this, when you seek wisdom, when you seek wisdom from God, here's what will happen. Here's what will happen. Proverbs 2, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. He's like, when you seek God's wisdom, there's something that's going to be birthed in you. You're going to start having Understanding in righteousness, justice, and equity. And every culture you're upset with is a culture that doesn't value those three things. Every organization you're frustrated with is a organization that doesn't value those things. Every professor you complain about this week, this past week, or this coming week, will largely be about these things. Are they righteous? What does righteous mean? Do they do the right thing by people? Righteousness is defined this way in Proverbs 16. It says this, It's an abomination to kings to do evil, for the throne is established by righteousness. You want leaders to do the right thing for the people in their organization. You want them to do the right thing. And when they're not doing the right thing, when they're hurting people, you're like, that's, that's wrong. There's something deeply wrong with that. So they're righteous, but also they're just. That word just actually means a, a legal justice it says, in 29.4, it says, by justice a king builds up the land, but he who exacts gifts tears it down. If you're in a leadership position, and you're not just in your judgments, but you're taking bribes, you're you're playing favorites, that's not a healthy organization. He says, wise leaders don't play favorites. They don't exact gifts from people. They don't make promises and deals. They do what's right. They They judge justly. And here's what's where that justice plays out. 29.14 says it this way, if a king faithfully judges the poor, his throne will be established forever. How are those people treated in your organization that aren't the pretty, that aren't the shiny, that aren't the most significant? The ones that aren't the smartest, not the ones that can give you the most things. How are the the lowly in your organization treated? How are the lowly in your community treated? One of the great things that great leaders do is they look out for the lonely, the lowly. They care for the poor, for the destitute, for the ones that they don't have the shine. That's a beautiful culture. They see needs and they move to meet those needs. And equity. They don't play favorites. Great leaders don't play favorites. They treat people well. And that's a, cult, that's a healthy culture. It's God's direction. It's a culture that honors and loves and cares for people within it. And, and thirdly, leaders need to protect. There's a protection aspect to leadership where you protect the direction, you protect the culture, you protect the people. And if you actually have a leadership position, this is one of the hardest roles of being a leader is moving in and saying, you've got to stop that. I have an opportunity, it's an amazing opportunity to to meet with um, fraternity leaders and and organizational leaders um, all throughout Texas A&M. And as I meet with those people, bar none, the hardest conversations they have is when they have to move in and to correct people, to affirm what's right and punish what's wrong. It is extremely excruciating but your people need it, and your organization needs it. Proverbs 29.12 says it this way, if a ruler listens to falsehood, all of his officials will be wicked. If you allow negative talk, negative influences, in, invalid influence into your organization, that thing will spread and everyone will begin adopting it. Proverbs 25.5, take away the wicked from the presence of the king, and his throne will be established in righteousness. It's your responsibility as a leader to actually hold the culture and protect the people, to hold people accountable. And it doesn't mean that you just remove everyone, but it does mean you've got to correct behaviors. So when I was in college, uh, I ran track. And when I walked into this uh, team, into this organization, the culture was in utter chaos. Uh, Literally the year before, before the conference meet, uh, the guys were all out getting drunk before the meet, like they were all drunk, and then showed up to the conference meet, and, and that was, just, it was just utter chaos, we're like, okay, this is like the most important race of your little collegiate career, and you're, you're gonna do that before you do it, and, and they did not perform well, it was all bad, and then a new coach came in, second semester, my second semester there, and he met with each one of us, and he asked us, okay, what are your goals, like what do you hope to achieve as, as, a, as an athlete, what do you want to do, and and so we, we each give him our goals, our aspirations that we'd hope to, to reach. And, and he said to us, okay, in order to do that, some things have to change here. And we're like, okay, like what? And he's like, just be ready. So the next week of practice, he says, okay, here's how what we're going to do to train. Here's the values that we're going to have. Here's how you're going to come dressed and ready to train. Here's how you're going to tr- uh, interact with us. Here's the, the priority that we're going to set here. And he, he begins shifting the culture. And then when it came to drinking and Friday nights, he's like, he's like, look, if you're over 21, I can't tell you no, but I'm just letting you know that it will negatively affect how you're, you perform. And, and if it starts negatively affecting how you perform and you're refusing to change, it's going to be a problem. We're going to have to deal with it. And as we went along, there became several people that didn't want to change. They were like, no, this is what I do. I'm going to keep on doing this. And he says, okay, you are no longer going to be part of this group if you're going to keep pulling people in that direction. He gave an opportunity, he encouraged them to change, and when they refused, he says, okay, I don't think this is going to be the place for you. But those of us, those of us that actually submitted to his leadership, four out of five of us were all All-Americans by the time we graduated college. He completely shifted the culture of our organization, and the evidence, the difference was profound. You've got to protect the culture. You've got to see what's going on and say, if these are our values, if this is what we're going to do, we've got to make some changes. This is what we're going to value. This is how we're going to treat one another. This is how we're going to compete. All of those things have to shift. And as a leader, it's your responsibility to lead those. And as I say, those two, those big ideas of, hey, here's the perspective, and here are the actions of a leader to be a leader worth following. Some of you are going, yes, give me the reins, Give me the organization. I will be president of Bucks tomorrow, and I will lead them into glory. You know, like you just—you're ready to like take the reins and lead somewhere. You're like, okay, Kevin. Like, like I'm an Aggie anyway, and like I'm an Aggie. Aggies are we, like we're leaders. We're gonna like charge this hill. Like, give me the company. Give me the organization. I'm t- I'm ready to lead, baby. And and I would just tell you, slow your roll, because what God is gonna do in your life, one of God's gracious gifts in your life is not to give you the reins, but actually to carve something into your character before he ever gives you the seat of authority. God, in his grace, won't thrust you into leadership. He'll spend time carving into you the character that's required to be a great leader. So in in other words, in order to be a great leader, you have to ask yourself the question, how do I respond to the authority above me? How do I live when I'm under authority? And here's what I would ask you to ask yourself. Before we ask, am I a a leader worth following? But I would ask you a second question. Are you a follower worth leading? What quality of follower are you? Because here's what God does in every man or woman he uses. He buries them in obscurity. He teaches them how to serve before he ever opens up the opportunity to lead. He does it. He did it in the life of David. David is anointed as king. I mean, Samuel comes to to his dad's house, to Jesse's house. Every son is paraded before Samuel. Samuel anoints none of them. And then Samuel's like, okay, do you have any other sons? And he goes, yeah, there's David, but he's the youngest. and he's out watching sheep, you know? In other words, like, he's not worth your time, Samuel. And Samuel says, okay, get him. We're not going to sit down until he comes. And and so they go out and they get David, and they parade him before Samuel. He's like, hey, this is the Lord's man. He anoints him as king. Samuel leaves, and you know what happens? What's the next verse? What happens in the life of David? Like, oh, surely he's like the king. He's like leading armies or something. It says he's out with the sheep. King Saul has some major mental breakdowns going on and he asks for someone to come play him the harp guitar to calm his mind. He's ready to lead, and what does God do? I'm gonna have you serve the illegitimate king that I just disposed. You know what God will do in your life to teach you how to be a quality leader? He'll put you underneath unqualified leaders so that you learn how to serve so that you learn how to love. You learn how to represent the qualities, the character qualities to be a great leader. And he carves those into you often when you're serving. So there's four qualities I want to give you of being a follower worth leading. The first is this, that you, you be consistent. Secondly, that you be careful. Third, that you be patient. And fourthly, that you be realistic. The first is this, that you be consistent. I love these Proverbs. It says this in 1613, righteous lips are a delight to the king and he loves him who speaks what is right. How do you speak to the leaders above you? Do you speak what is right? Do you speak what is true? Are you using your words to help the organization or tear down the organization? Are you speaking what is good? Are you righteous in your speech in your organization? And secondly, are you working hard? Proverbs twenty two twenty nine 29 says this. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will, not stand bef- he will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. He says, do you see the skill of this, this worker? He will be promoted. He's going to stand before kings. He's not going to stand before obscure people. They're actually going to be recognized the skill of this individual. So here's my question for you. Are you excellent in what God has given you? Are you an excellent student? Are you not just a Christian engineer? Are you an excellent engineer? Are you not just a Christian sociology major? Are you you an excellent sociology major? Are you excellent in what has been given to you? And not just do you work at HEB to get through. Are you an excellent worker at HEB? Not just do you work at a coffee shop. Are you excellent at that coffee shop? Here's the deal. Excellence is proven in small things excellence, diligence, faithfulness is proven in the small things that are given to you. And you see someone that's excellent in their work, there will be opportunities ahead. And I'll tell you what, when you demonstrate excellence in small things, it will eventually be recognized and utilized by God in other areas. And we've seen a few people where this plays out dramatically in history. One of them is Billy Graham, passed away a couple years ago. He was an evangelist, What was fascinating about Billy Graham is that he actually advised several U.S. presidents. Why did all these U.S. presidents want to bring in Billy Graham? It's because of how he spoke, how he treated people. His character spoke so loud that the people in highest authority said, I need this man in to give me wisdom. William Wilberforce, he was a politician in Britain, and he was one of the only politicians speaking against slavery at that point in Britain. And he spent his life ending slavery by, in his role as a politician in Great Britain. It was a beautiful example of using his skill and his profession to help bring social justice, social right into the world. And in a much smaller, less significant way, Lauren Daigle, you know her? She's a singer, songwriter. So my wife and I, um, confession moment, uh, we watch America's Got Talent. Is this a safe place? Okay. Um, and uh, Simon Cowell's on that show. If you're like, what is that? Okay, anyway, we watch it. I remember watching it one time and, and the background theme music that was being played during one of these moments was one of Lauren Daigle's songs. And I was like, of all the songs they could choose, why would they choose one of her songs? It just felt weird because they're not Christian at all in anything that they promote. And all of a sudden, you're, seeing, you're listening to this as the soundtrack behind their, their montage. And I'm like, what is going on? And I'm like, why do they want Lauren Daigle's music? Because it's good. And then you have people going, That's an interesting song. Let me go listen to that. And you have non-Christians listening to Lauren Daigle's music, not because it's Christian, but because it's good. And then they start investigating what's going on. What is she singing about? What is this rescue about? And they begin investigating. I'll tell you what, when you do your work well, it turns the eyes of the people in power. And you'll have more influence by being a great worker than just by saying, I think I'm a Christian. So Christians work hard. They do consistently what everyone else does occasionally. They work hard. But secondly, we need to be careful. I love this proverb. I love the imagery of this proverb. It says, when you sit down and eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat. I'm like What? That's weird. If you are given to appetite, do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive He says this, there's going to be moments in life when you are standing or sitting uh, in front of a leader, in front of an authority figure, and there's going to be a tendency that you have in your heart, which is, I want what they have. And what's going to happen in that moment is that your your appetites of, of wanting that job opportunity or wanting that promotion or wanting something that that person has is going to drive you. And it's going to drive you to say things or to overcommit or lie about who you are so that you can work your way in with that leader, with that organization. And and what's going to happen is is the wisdom is going to tell you, don't do that. Don't let your appetites drive you. Don't overcommit because that compromise is going to lead you in a deadly direction. Don't compromise who you are in Christ so that you can work your way within that leader. And I'll tell you what, it's challenging, especially when you're looking for a job. So how many of you right now, you're applying, hoping, please, God, give me a job before the end of the year? A couple, few hands. The rest of you, you, you don't need employment. That's great. Um, and here's what's going to happen. You're going to be in that interview, and they're going to ask you questions like, um, tell me some of your skills. And you're going to say, everything. Um, every, 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 What do you need a skill in? I have it. Um, Microsoft Word, uh, PowerPoint like I I could do it all you know like just like I have these skills. Have you ever led anything? I've led, I've led million, millions of things through my followers of, on my Instagram account. Like, I've led lots of things, and I can do everything. And they're just like, do you think you can function in this environment? It's like, I can function in all environments. I can do everything that you need me to do. And you, what you're going to do is overpromise and fudge the truth and present yourself as the only best candidate they could possibly have. And the business school is telling you, that's what you do to work it. And, like, you lie till you make it and then hopefully you got it, and then you figure out what to do then, you know, and, and there's like this, this pressure cooker, and you're gonna be like, should I represent myself in that way? And I would tell you, no, no. You don't compromise to get the job. You don't compromise to get the girl. You don't compromise under authority. You actually say, God has made me who I am, And I'm going to stand here in confidence under who he's made me to be. And it's challenging. I worked here for three years in youth ministry um, while my wife was doing veterinary school. And then we moved to South Florida. She had a veterinary internship in South Florida. And I'm there, and we're probably only going to be there a short amount of time, probably a year. That's how long the internship was. And... And so I'm just trying to get a job anywhere, like Starbucks, Barnes & Nobles. Back then, people read books, and so it was like a good job uh, opportunity. And and I was like, I'm not committing long-term here. I just want a year, that sort of thing. And I'm applying to every Starbucks and every Barnes & Nobles in South Florida. I'm just like, please, by God, give me a job. And no one's calling me back. Literally no one. And for three months, I have no job. And at one point, I'm sitting in Starbucks just praying because I have nowhere else to be. And I'm going, God? God? Just give me a job, please, give me a job. And then my wife hears about an opportunity at a church that needs some help, a youth pastor. And so I apply to that position as a youth pastor at that church. And, and I talked to some friends of mine. I'm like, so how do I move my way forward to get that job? And they're just, they're just like, well, um, they don't know how long you're going to be in South Florida. And neither do you, really. You know, God's in control. Um, so don't tell them that you're probably only going to be there for a year so that you can get the job. And I said, I can't do that. And so I just prayed, Lord, I'm going to tell them the truth and see what happens. And so the first interview comes up. They call me in to interview with some of their staff, and I sit down at their table, and I said, hey, I just want to let you know before any of this starts, um, my wife is in South Florida for a veterinary internship. That's why we're here. Um, I don't know how long I'm going to be here, um, but it's probably only a year, but we'll see. And if you want to end the interview now, I totally understand and respect your decision. And she, the person interviewing me said, no, let's keep going. Went through the interview. It went well. They called me back a week later and said, hey, it went really well. We want, we want you to meet with some of our families in the youth ministry to interview with them. And so I walk into that interview a week later, and I sit down with those families, and I said, hey, I just want to let you guys know before we go any further I don't know that I'm going to be here longer than a year. I just want to be honest with you. It's possible, but I don't know. Um, but I can only commit to a year. If you want to end this now, I totally understand. And they said, they told us that. We still want to interview. I sit down. I get the job. And I'm like, okay, God. I did everything I could to lose this job. <laughs> and you've given it to me. And i tell you what, it... It it built a level of trust with that staff. It built a level of trust with those families because they knew I was gonna be honest with them from the get-go. It was actually a beautiful environment. It was a great year. And there was a guy that came in that I could help develop and train and hand off the ministry to him later on. And, And I'll tell you what, there's something beautiful when you walk in and say, this authority has nothing ultimately that I need because God is guiding my life. I'm actually entrusting my life to him. So that means thirdly, that we be patient. We be patient. Proverbs 25, 6 says this, do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the palace of the great, for it is better to be told, come up here than to be put lower in the presence of the noble. Are you actually entrusting your life to the greatest king? Do you actually believe that he cares about your future more than you do? You actually believe that he's guiding your life better than you know how to. It's only when we actually trust the great king of the universe, Jesus Christ, that we can actually submit ourselves to say, you know what, I can be careful and I can be patient. I don't need to work angles, work the system. I can actually walk into this environment knowing that the God of the universe is in control and I don't need to get upset and angry that I don't get the promotion in time or the opportunity in time. I can actually come in and serve and use my words graciously and help lift up this organization. I'm not trying to work the system. I'm being patient and I'm serving really, really well. Which brings us to fourthly, that we be realistic, which means this. No one's in control of your life, but God alone. No organization, no authority, no job opportunity, no one's in control of your life, but God alone. Proverbs 29, 26 says it this way. Many seek the face of the ruler, but it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. I want this person to make everything right in my life. No, it's it's God who's ultimately in control, not this individual. Proverbs 21.1, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. Every authority is under the ultimate authority. Every professor you stand under... Every boss and every job that you have, every organizational leader is ultimately delegated authority by God, and God will judge him, and he will guide that person who's above you. Do you actually believe that? It's powerful. There's something very powerful when a follower in an organization puts themselves under God and actually trusts their life into his hands. It is incredibly powerful. We see this in the life of Jesus. He's brought before Pilate. Pilate is about to kill Jesus. He has the authority to, for life and death. And, and as Jesus is interacting with Pilate, he says, you have no authority except given to you by God. And Pilate says, I, I see nothing that I can call this man guilty of. Even though it cost Jesus his life, he was entrusting his life to the one who's ultimately in control. All leadership, true leadership, starts with trust in him and that we are strong and we submit to him. And that gives you strength and courage to face whatever challenge or leadership challenge that's in your wake. We read at the beginning of the service, Matthew 20, It's an amazing moment in the life of Jesus where Jesus has actually told his disciples, hey, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to die, I'm just kind of preparing you for this. And right after he says that, James and John's mama comes in with her boys. She walks up and says, hey Jesus, yeah, yeah, you're talking about dying, that's great. Um, Hey, uh, when you're reigning in glory and honor, can my boys like sit at your right hand and your left? I mean, just completely missing the moment, right? And just like uh, he goes, "Okay, um, all right." And he turns from the mom and looks at the boys, and he says, "Can you drink the cup that I am about to drink?" The cup was this—the wrath of God for the sin of the world, the judgment of God for the sin of the world. He says, "He says, men, can you actually participate? Can you walk the walk that I am going to walk?" And they're like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah. W- when is it? Like, where is the cup? You know, like, let's do it now." And he says. You will drink the cup, meaning you will sacrifice your life for the sake of others, and they both died martyrs' deaths. But he says, "But to sit at my right hand in my life—that's not, that's, that's not mine to give. It's the Father alone that can give it." And he says that, and the other disciples get upset because they're like, "Why didn't we ask? You know, like what, what can we get?" And so they get angry, and then he he enters in with the text that we read, and he says, "Look, everyone else in the world." The, Leaders of the Gentiles, everyone else in the world basically feels like leadership is a status to reach. And once you reach that status, you use your power to push everyone down and to push yourself up. But not so with you. You know what great leaders do? You know where true greatness lies? True greatness lies not to be served, but to serve. And you give your life as a ransom for many. True greatness comes when great men and women bow their knees down and serve the needs of others. And there are very few leaders that actually do this well. One of them was a man named Truett Cathy, owner of Chick-fil-A. There's a statue, if you're going to, if you're going to Atlanta, and you're to walk into the corporate offices, you would see a statue of Jesus. And it's of Jesus bending down and washing the disciples' feet. See, there's a beautiful moment when Jesus kneels down right before his death and he says, I'm going to wash you clean. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to take the heart of a servant. And ultimately, I'm going to die for you. See, there's something beautiful about when leaders bend themselves down to serve those they lead. The purpose statement of Chick-fil-A is this, to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that is entrusted to us to have a positive influence of all who come in contact with Chick-fil-A. And a cultural value of Chick-fil-A is this. You don't have to be a Christian to work at Chick-fil-A, but we ask that you base your business on biblical principles because they work. Truett Cathy modeled this. There's a story of Truett Kathy in a moment when all the executives are in his office and, and he says, I want to teach you how to lead. And he took a towel He got down on his knees, took off the executive's feet shoes and washed their feet. A beautiful picture of what it looks like to serve like Christ. How are you doing as a leader? Are you a leader worth following? How are you doing as a follower? Are you a follower worth leading? The only way that you and I are going to develop these qualities within us is to first bend our knees to Jesus Christ the king over everyone, who died the death we deserve to die, who rose in victory over Satan, sin, and death, and has called us into relationship with his father, the king of the universe. And from that solid foundation, we then move into the world. So i want to give you three application questions in closing. First is this. Do I have God's perspective on my leadership role? Do I? Do I, am I going God's direction with God's priorities, with God's empowerment? Do I actually have God's perspective on my leadership role? Secondly, am I serving as a leader worth following? Am I valuing the things that God values as I model leadership in my organization? And thirdly, am I a follower worth leading? Am I consistent, careful, patient? Am I the type of person that employers would go, those qualities... Are what I need from men and women within my organization. I'll tell you what, the the starting point to growing into being a a quality leader often begins in all of our lives with being a great follower. It's true in my life. I want to give you two opportunities to think about to serve and to be a part of this organization. We have two needs that I want to hold up in front of you one is um, as a youth leader. Our youth meet right across the little walkway here at 915 in the gym. And I'll tell you what, those youth, those 7th through 12th graders need men and women, you, to pour into their lives. I'll tell you what, it is life-changing to pour your life into the life of a student. We need 7th through 12th grade leaders. We need junior high leaders that were there just glad you showed up. And we need high school leaders that are too cool for you, right? We need them all, and they would love for you to come pour your life into their life and serve them. Um, it's a beautiful picture, what Christ says. I'll tell you what, it's impactful, it's life-changing. Um, I met Jacob Smith when he was a high school senior serving, when I was serving in that ministry. Uh, and now he's a lifelong friend. I tell you what, it's a powerful, powerful picture of what God could do in your life. Secondly, uh, our children's ministry. Um, across the street, we have families that meet across the street, and, and families like mine, we, we so value you that you would pour your life, you would serve our kids, that they would see what Christ looks like in the life of a college student. It is, empower, it is so powerful. My kids are always excited when they're like, when are the college students coming? When are the college students coming? i tell you, because guys, men and women like you have poured their lives into them. And i tell you what, I'm internally grateful for that. Um, we need you. So serve with our youth, serve in our children's ministry, learn what it looks like to be a, a follower worth leading pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I pray that men and women from this room would be raised up to be great leaders. They would influence their their future families. They would influence their organizations. They would be a positive influence in discipleship. Lord, I pray that we could be men and women who ultimately bow our knee before you, Jesus. And as we bow our knee to you, you empower us to be leaders worth following, followers worth leading. Thank you so much for your word. I'll lift up each person to you to guide them, protect them. Amen.